Hello everyone and welcome back to the Underground Nest Hall, Finn McHale here, and before we get into the episode today, I do want to discuss why I've been absent the past couple weeks. So about a couple weeks ago, I had, you know, a little personal emergency happen, decided to take some time off, you know, about a couple weeks, and unfortunately during that time, the chapter of Rag Record of Ragnarok came out. And despite the fact that, you know, I'm a little late with this, I still want to discuss it because this is a really, really interesting and really cool chapter. So, I hope you guys can understand, you know, and forgive me for being a little late, and, you know, please tune in to listen to this chapter review, and thank you guys. Now, with that out of the way, let's get going. So, this is chapter 47, The Path, and it opens with Gel, Gel's face of what in the fuck just happened, and... We see some of the gods' reactions, you know, Loki and Odin are just kind of like, meh, whatever. Zeus is doing this little old man, you know, where, what happened? Let me see. You know, he's got his hand over his eye so he can see better. Hermes is stoic. And then Ares is just kind of hunched over with his jaw drop going, oh, what? Heimdallir somehow got another Gjallarhorn despite the fact that Buddha crushed his first one at the beginning of the match. And he's about to announce what happened, and then we see the three great sages, you know, Jesus is stoic, I believe it's Aristotle, who's like got his hand on his beard like, ah, and then I think it's Confucius is like, oh my god, Joseph Joestar-esque. We then cut back to the arena where we see the Misery Cleaver having been slammed on Buddha, and taken through and seeing Buddha having blocked it while Heimdallir declaring that Buddha took the attack head-on, and stopped it dead in its tracks. Now, we cut over to the Valkyries, you know, hangout slash loft in the arena stands, and Gelstron is asking Brunhilde, you know, I don't understand what happened, like, how did he get a shield? He just had a staff. Brunhilde goes on to explain that Buddha's divine weapon is the Sixth Realm Staff, which was, the name was dropped in the previous chapter. Gel asks the Six Realm Staff, and so Brunhilde goes on to explain that the Six Worlds which mankind can reincarnate into are known to Buddhists as the Six Realms, and these are the Divine or Deva Realm, the Asho Realm, the Praetor Realm, the Infernal or Naraka Realm, if I'm remembering correctly, the Animal Realm, and the Human Realm, and they're all protected by a Bodhisattva Canon, the Divine realm is the wish-granting wheel canon, the Ashura realm is the eleven-faced canon, and I believe that that is actually what he announced in chapter 46 before the shield came out, is he said eleven-faced canon, then the shield came out. Praetor realms is the thousand-armed canon, infernal realm is the holy canon, the animal realm is the horse-headed canon, and the human realm is the unshakable card or cord canon can't really read what he what it says there and then she goes on to explain that the six realm staff is able to store the power of all those guardian buddhas and bodhisattvas and the way it works is it actually reacts to buddha's emotions and it will change the form accordingly and then gel brings up a really important question after hearing this and that's wait a minute but if it reacts to his emotions that means he can't choose which weapon to use we cut back to the arena and Buddha's going, damn, you're kind of pissed off now, you know, your puberty's raging, you know, and he's telling this to 
Zerohuku. And Buddha goes, man, you made me break a sweat and have to pop out this bad boy of a shield. You know, he says, this is really, really fucking wild. I can't believe this. He pushes back the misery cleaver. Now, mind you, this is when, like, Zerofuku, like, split it into, like, 20 different heads to, like, try and insta-kill him. And it didn't work. Heimdiller goes, oh, my God, he's pushing it back. And then Zerofuku is really, really frustrated. So he actually goes on to pull the misery cleaver back. And he's pissed that Buddha's acting all cool and calm-headed and whatever. And he says, if I can't flatten you, I'll just shred you to bits. So he changes all the axe heads and instead extends the guard and shoots out all these just sword blades out of it. You know, it looks like just a, a wicked shredder. Heimdallir again declares that it's changed shape. And at the same time, Buddha Six Realm Staff changes again and it changes to Six Realm Staff, Second Realm, Animal Realm, Horse Face Canon. This is really interesting because each time it changes, it lets us know not only which realm, but which canon he's invoking, which I think is really, really cool. It takes the form of this Kanabo-esque. Now, mind you, in each form, the prayer scrolls stay as a part of the weapon. And I think that that's part of the mechanism to transform is the scrolls need to unfurl. And now once it transforms into this Kanabo club, you know, Buddha goes, oh, it's you, you know. And he makes a point of, I guess I got to get up close and personal, huh? And you know, before I go any further, I think the reason why he says this is because, one, he's already using, you know, his divine foresight ability. And so I think one thing to take into account is don't automatically think he's not using it here. It's just we're shown this ability, so it's kind of implied he is. it's one of those abilities he's using all the time during this fight. And so he he and Zerofuku then to continue the fight go and charge each other and Zerofuku is like I'm going to get you and dice you. And he's about to swing down his super shredder <laughs> TMNT reference there from the second movie. And Confucius is like he's doing head on rush and Gail Gail's trying to hide her eyes like I can't see this hell hole, you know, is he going to make it? Buddha then slides on his ass and it catches Zerofuku off guard and we see his eyes and tongue just bug out of his face and then Buddha start to pick back up while Zerofuku kind of slides out of the way and kind of just slowly falls down. Ares doesn't really understand what happened he's trying to figure out and then we see Zerofuku got tagged in the stomach pretty hard. You know, not like his stomach's hanging out, but he is bleeding. He got hit in the side. And this is when, over the Galahorn, the backup Galahorn, Heimdallir says, you know, there's his counter. You know, like a Buddha out of hell, he lands a clean hit on Zerofuku's side. Now, that doesn't give us a lot of clarity on what happened, but Hermes does. And he explains that when he got into the counter range, while avoiding Zerofuku's attack, that's when he tagged him. And Ares the god of war but he's the dumber god of war because athena is much much smarter he goes oh of course yes that's what i was thinking you know trying to save face and gel is like yeah he did it but then she asks another important question what emotion did he have to be feeling for the staff to turn into the conobo and brunhilde you know kind of chuckles to herself and is like that's so like him like like, he's an old friend or an ex-boyfriend or whatever, you know, and he's like, 
And then she explains he li- he lives his life how he pleases with nobody holding him down. And we get one of his titles, and that's he's history's strongest adolescent. And Gail asks, what do you mean the world's strong- history's strongest adolescent? So now we do what a lot happens to a lot of fighters. We do a flashback into their past. And so, you know, and, and this flashback starts with from his birth, he had everything within his reach. And we see Buddha now as Gautama Siddhartha training with his sword master, you know, and his, he's like, you've come to master the sword. And, you know, he's like, oh, it's all thanks to your help, you know. And we get some insight, you know, this is back. He was in, he was a prince of one of the kingdoms in the Shakyas in ancient North India. You know, there was very little he was out of reach of because he was a member of the Kshatriya class, which, and they show you the cast, you know, the Brahmins are the clergy, the Kshatriyas are the royalty and the military, the Vashyas are the commoners, and the Shudras are the slaves. And, you know, he had the best status, the best clothing, and the best food, and the best dwelling, and the best education, you know. And, you know, there's a scene where his father comes up and he's like, you know, you're growing into a fine young man, you know. It says the Ashita stage. I don't know if it's Ashita or Asita because I don't really know Hindu that well. So I apologize if I'm showing anything. Oh, and his father's name is Sudodana. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And, you know, he says the Ashita stage prophesies, you know, that, you know, that he will be the greatest among all of humanity and one day will come to rule the world, you know, because this is what the gods dictated. And... His dad is like, oh, the Shaka people will be at peace. It's your destiny to come rule the world, you know. Do you understand, Siddhartha? And, you know, he goes, yes, father. And, you know, we see scenes of him going out in the streets and giving porridge, you know, to the others and wanting to make sure everyone's happy. So we do see very much he and Zerofuku had similar beginnings. You know, they wanted to make everyone happy. And then he gets off, you know, his horse and his advisor's like, what are you doing? And he's like, you know... Because they're like, you know, you're a god amongst men, you know, the Shudras and the Vashyas. And he's like, no, 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 that's my duty as royalty to make sure you're happy. So then some time passes by and we see a very familiar lying pose of him on the balcony where he talked to his father. And it's the same one when Zeus approached him. And, you know, he sees this, you know, bird, this, I think it's a falcon. And he's like, man, you're not held down by anyone. And then like a vulture comes out of nowhere and kills it. And, you know, he's just contemplating, you know, how destiny works. And then his advisors come up and he's like, why are you laying there? You know, you're royalty. You shouldn't be doing that. And he's like, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't. Sorry. Well, then some time passes and then he goes to the ancient North, ancient North India kingdom of Mala, one of the 16 Mahajanapadas. I might have mispronounced it, but I think I got it all. So he enters this palace and he says, oh, Jataka, big brother, it's been so long. And everybody's like, huh? You know, like royal shouldn't act like that. And he goes, brother Jataka, how are you feeling? You know, now he's kind of sheepish. And we see this, you know, well-built man in a bed, but he's coughing, you know. And he's like, Siddhartha, I'm so glad you came to see me, you know. And it's Jataka's the king of Mala. And he's getting out of bed, and his advice is like, don't strain yourself. And he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's all right. And Jataka asks Siddhartha to go take a walk with him, and gleefully, Siddhartha says yes. So they go for a walk around the palace, and he's like, Jataka's like, didn't I tell you to stop calling me big bro? 
And Sidera's like, yeah, you scolded me about it. And he's like, I was just imitating the children I saw in the city. You know, that's what brothers who are close call each other. And he's like, I was just a bit jealous. And, you know, Jataka's like, you know, but that's not how royalty should behave, man. And Sidera's like, oh, okay. You know, and, but Jataka, though, because he's taking, he applauds him, I think for taking notice of the everyday goings of people. And he's like, I'm glad to hear that, though. And, you know, and he gives him, you know, a noogie and Zatarta's like, ah, come on, big bro. And, you know, there's some background exposition. You know, Siddhartha got along real well with King Jataka, who was a distant relative of his and five years his senior. And then, you know, they're going along this walk still, and Jataka's telling him, you know, it's not going to be long before you're going to assume the throne of the Shakyas. And Siddhartha says, well, I'm going to try to make everybody happy because that's my destiny. This is when it takes a turn and we see, this is the start of the turn when we see how Buddha came to understanding happiness because he asks, because Jataka kind of gets really solemn and silent and Siddhartha asks, aren't you happy, brother? And Jataka asks, why do you think that? Siddhartha says, well, it's such a prosperous kingdom. You know, the people are happy from the Vajras to the Shudras. You know, and as royalty, there's no greater happiness than this. Jataka asks, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that I'm happy? And Buddha's taken aback by this. You know, he doesn't know what to say. Jataka then goes on and says, you know, before long, I'm going to succumb to my illness. And, you know, Siddhartha's like, I don't want to hear about this. You know, what are you saying? You know, Jataka continues, like, until now, I've taken nothing but the happiness of the people into consideration in order to be seen as a good king. And he says, you know, fortunately, I didn't have any wars, no major conflicts, the kingdom prospered, nothing really, really major happened, and everyone's saying I'm led a happy life. You know, he starts coughing. Siddhartha says, let's head back now. And he says, Siddhartha, you know, I got to wonder whose life I was living. And we get a scene of blood on his hand while he says this. Siddhartha doesn't really understand it, and he's like, who's? And then there's a reiteration from earlier in the flashback. You know, Jataka says, the best clothing, the best food, the best palace, the, the status of nobility. I didn't choose this. It was handed to me. The roasted beans that people eat, I wonder how they taste. The river that runs through my kingdom to where does it flow in the sky above my head, how far does it reach? I know nothing of that. Implying, you know, he's been a little bit sheltered. You know, he doesn't really, he, there's things he wants to explore, but because he's, because of everything he was handed, you know, he kind of doesn't ask anything, you know, until now when he's about to die. And then he says, oh, shit, that was an uncool side of me. I, I let that slip, you know, just I think it's because I'm sick. You know, my will's kind of faltering, you know, just forget what I said. You know, don't tell anybody. You know, some time passes. He finally passes away and we see a really, really solemn Siddhartha. And everybody's like, oh, my God, you know. He must have been a truly happy man. Rest in peace, King Jataka. And Buddha starts to snap because he remembers what Jataka said to him. And we see these, you know, flashes in his mind. And all of a sudden, you know, the divine lotuses show up in his eyes. And everyone's like, Lord Siddhartha, is everything all right? Is something the matter? And, you know, he stops the procession. He's going to be late for the funeral. All of a sudden, he starts laughing, gets off his horse. And they think he's mad with grief. He's reached enlightenment, and he says, I've got it. And we go back to the funeral procession. They're like, you know, oh, maybe Siddhartha's not here because he hasn't. He still has some growing up to do. You know, maybe the grief has 
you know, it was just too much for him to bear. And then all of a sudden he shows up and he starts throwing flowers all over the place. And everyone's like, what in the hell are you doing? And everyone's really taken aback by this because they're like, he, you know, and then he goes up to Jataka's casket and he's like, what are you doing, Siddhartha? You know, the priest is still saying the Shudras or whatever. And he says, I came to get you, brother. Picks up the casket, walks out. And everyone is like, what are you doing? You know, this is so not like a nobility. And he just tells them to shut up. And everybody goes, <gasps> and he says, Jataka doesn't need blessings of the gods or anybody's prayers. He's got happiness in his heart. And so he takes him down to the river and he says, you know, go and see the end of the river for yourself and lets him flow down the river. This is the moment where he casts aside his nobility and everything. And he goes out into the wilderness and you know, he tread his own path. And then we see scenes where, you know, like this guy, you know, what in like traditional Buddhism, you know, you know, life is suffering. And this guy's like, you know, the suffering will purify his mind. And then Buddha's like, he gave him some milk porridge. And this old dude is like, what the hell? You're supposed to mortify yourself. And he tells him to shut up because he's feeding him because he wants to. And then he's just chilling by the tree. And he's like, you know, we've just been sitting here all day. Are we supposed to reach enlightenment with mortification? And he tells him, you know, just shut up. It's fine, dude. I, it doesn't really matter. And then there's this, these people about to sacrifice this girl to the gods. And he saves her. And he, everyone's like, what are you doing? She's a sacrifice. You'll be destroyed. You'll invoke the gods' wrath. And he goes, shut up. I'll take on everyone, whatever. Basically, we find out that this is him fighting back against the fate that has been decided by him for others. He wants to carve out his own path. He doesn't want his path to be made for him. And we go back to the arena, to the present, and Brunhilda says to Buddha, it doesn't matter whether they are God or man, for those who try to deny him his own internal happiness and impose fate upon him, he has nothing but absolute hatred. And Gel is like, so this is why he's fighting the gods. Brunhilda says, like I said before, Buddha is the strongest adolescent. In other words, right now he's the height of adolescence. And he tells Zerofuku to get up and until he gets over your little tantrum, Buddha's all his and Zerofuku's pissed. Now, end of chapter notes. This is what's really interesting. And with, with the notes, there's this other side note. And he says, honestly, why do I even bother writing about half the shit when literally the next chapter it's all fucking explained? Which I think is funny. But there's some stuff that's explained here. So... Jataka, the note here is basically as far as you know the guy knows there was no figure in buddha's family tree the historical buddha siddhartha gautama named jataka but there is something called the jataka tales which is a collection of buddhist tales concerning previous incarnations of the buddha which he was which the character jataka was likely named after there's also some notes about the popsicle that he's eating you know on the cover of volume 11 and it references the real life there's a real life popsicle brand gari gari kun and the anime's op and ed the brand of the popsicle is kamigami kun which i uh, he doesn't really gave a translation on what that means but the flavor is hukahi which is the name of the anime's ed inevitable so a couple takeaways from this chapter so one of the reasons why I like these chapters is because Record of Ragnarok has this trend where it takes, you know, historical and mythical figures and like the traditional stories we know about them and twists them 
so that it's like, no, 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 this is actually what really happened, which I really like because historically, I believe Siddhartha Gautama, this didn't happen the way it happens in the chapter, which is really cool because it shows why he's a very aloof person. I do think it's interesting that he's the height of adolescence, despite the fact that, you know, he, I can understand where they're putting that into place, but it's still really interesting. Other than that, you know, I, I really like the explanation of, you know, the weapon and I, and I hope we get to see the other forms and that'd be really, really cool. I'm interested to see how this fight plays out though because there hasn't been any really major damage even with like the the body check that buddha gave zerofuku there hasn't been any like real action that's occurred but who knows maybe the next chapter will ramp everything up i still am gonna hold fast to the idea that this is going to turn out to be a much much more interesting and I think better fight than Adam versus Zeus. Outside of that, um, we're this is basically in terms of the actual matches. If the story is going to be all tournament fights, we're about the halfway fight because there's supposed to be 13 rounds. So we'll see. And with that, Finn McHale signing out. <laughs>